Well, we start a journey today, the next several weeks, as we look at this idea of, the, of mental health, how the church should address and can address that issue. I want the, this verse to be in your mind today. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're on a journey, journey of, of discovery and idea and hope for mental health. Uh, we're looking to understand. We're looking for pathways to help people who are challenged with mental illness. We're not medical professionals, obviously. Uh, well, a few of you are. But, but we're spiritual teachers, mentors. People with mental health issues most frequently turn in one of three places. They turn to family, they turn to friends, they turn to their faith community, to their church. And yet as I look around, and uh, Tammy brought this issue to my attention in a new way a couple of months ago now, uh, she and I began doing some research and looking and uh, to find out what other churches are doing, not just in our community, but across the country. And other than providing counseling services, which are fantastic and needed, the church really isn't doing a lot to help with the issues of mental health. We haven't found many resources. We haven't found many churches addressing the issue. Uh, The primary one is where the little video clip comes from is Saddleback Church in Southern California, uh, doing quite a bit. There are a couple of other churches doing some things, but there just aren't many. So why are we tackling this issue to to think about it, to discuss it? Uh, The one reason for me is that this issue touches more people than we think. One out of every five people struggles on an annual basis with issues of mental health. Uh, 42 and a half million adults in our society, in the United States, deal with issues of mental health. That's a lot of people. Out of that number, one in 25 will have a serious mental illness, something beyond just a mild depression or uh, a bit of anxiety, but really have deeply serious, embedded mental health issues. It begins when people are young. Half of all people with chronic mental illness first showed signs of that developing by the age of 14. Three-fourths of the people who have chronic mental illness were showing onset of that by the time they were 24. It begins when we don't think it does. Depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide. It's not an illness or an injury, a physical illness. It's a mental illness, depression. 90% of suicide victims have an underlying mental illness that brought them to that place. One of the main reasons I want to talk about this comes out of my own family upbringing, and that's to deal with the stigma that mental health issues bring. I grew up in a time, as most of us did in this room, when uh, you just didn't talk about mental health issues, and especially if it was you or if it was your family member. It was kind of hidden, sheltered, kept quiet. 
It was almost as if it were so contagious that it was spread by conversation and we couldn't deal with it. And I think the church isn't doing enough. We're not doing enough to help people understand that there is hope for someone's deepest pain. We believe that, don't we? That there is hope for someone's decent pain, uh, d- deepest pain. I, I remember when I was uh, growing our kids and they were small, uh, we would go to several different arcade-style places where games were. One of them was Chuck E. Cheese. And if my memory serves me correctly, uh, Chuck E. Cheese had a game called Whack-A-Mole. How many of you remember Whack-A-Mole? and uh, the little mole figure pops its head out of that little hole and you have to whack it back down the the problem is is as soon as you whack one down another one pops up somewhere else and before long you're whacking after they're already gone and it's popped up somewhere else and you can't keep up with it and even if you do hit the little mole down another one just keeps popping back up and the frustrating part of the game is you can't win You just can't win. Every time you knock that little mole down over here, the one up there, over there, over here, over here has has popped up in its place. That's kind of a metaphor for life. Sometimes it feels like that we just are having one problem after another, after another. Just when we whack one down, another one pops up. And we whack that one down, and two of them are over here, and they just continue. We, we feel like life is one series of unfortunate events after another, after another, after another. Paul talked about those struggles. Romans chapter 7, he said, I don't understand what I do. What I want to do, I don't do, but what I hate to do, I end up doing. I know that nothing good lives in my sinful nature. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Those whack-a-mole things come up even with our persistent sins. Even we think we have them under control and they pop back up somewhere else. So let me do a little inventory. You don't have to uh, raise your hand or anything. It's just with yourself. Which of these keep popping up in your life? Stress, fears, overwork, attractions that you shouldn't have to another person or maybe even something else, addictions, regrets, issues of weight control, worry, bad habits, anger, dishonesty. Finances, you can't pay your bills. How about, uh, how about the need to control? To always orchestrate things exactly the way you want them to be. Perfectionism, resentment, <coughs> compulsive thoughts. How many of those keep popping up in your life? And if not yours, someone who's close to you, a family member or a friend. What, what's the cause of all those problems? Why do they keep popping up? Rick Warren says that every problem in your life has the same root cause. And I, I think I agree with him. 
And he says, it's, we're playing God. We just want to always play God. It's our oldest temptation. I want to, to act like God, and I'm going to make my choices instead of doing what God wants me to do. I'm going to have these problems in my life because I want to play God instead of giving my life to God. It's our oldest temptation. It comes from Satan. It's caused by pride. Ezekiel points that out when he says to the king of Tyre, In the pride of your heart you say, I am a god. But you are just a man and not a god, though you think you are as wise as a god. That's the source of our problems. It's the root. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 29, pride will ruin people. We want to be the God. We want to be in control of our life. We're prideful. We think we can handle things. And we don't turn to God. I'm going to look at the Beatitudes over the next several weeks. All of them start off with that same word, blessed, or the the way we would say it in the good old King James language is blessed. Blessed are those. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed. Do Do you know what these verses are telling us? They're they're telling us that there's a way to live that brings blessing in our life, that brings healing from the deepest pains that we have. That word blessing uh, literally means in the Greek language to be happy. To be blessed means to be happy. So this first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is a healing choice. And it's reminding us and teaching us that nobody gets into heaven pridefully. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? He's he's not talking about physical poverty. Jesus isn't saying that you you get in that you're blessed when when you become poor financially. He's saying there's a way of blessing. But it's talking about spiritual things. It's understanding that there's a spiritual poverty, this poor in spirit. It's recognizing our sinfulness, our helplessness, our hopelessness. Uh, one, one of my favorite translations of the Bible is called God's Word Translation. It's hard to find anymore, actually. I should look for it online. But it translates this third verse, this first beatitude. It says, blessed are those who recognize that they are spiritually helpless. They are spiritually helpless. And so Jesus teaches us, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize that they are spiritually helpless. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So how do you develop this idea of being poor in spirit? The Bible tells us, it talks to us about this. And it is the way, the first way to happiness. But to to be poor in spirit, I must humbly admit I need help. It's to come to the place where we 
face up to the reality of our situation and where we are, that we need help. But we don't like to get there. We often don't want to be that honest with ourselves and about ourselves, even to ourselves. But to be poor in spirit means I stop living in denial. I stop putting off, pushing away the truth that I have an issue in my life that needs help from God. Jesus said the truth will set you free. And so the beginning place of finding help for mental health is to be honest that we need help. The truth will set you free. And so we face the truths about us. I know every day I stand before the mirror in my bathroom to get ready for the day. And one of the things I do there, same thing you do probably in front of your mirror in your bathroom at your home, is I fix my hair. And I look up at my hair and I, I washed it and now I want to comb it, get it in the right place. And I look at my hair and what do I see? I see that luxurious brown hair I always had my whole life. Now, I see that it's not brown anymore, but that's not my thinking. That's not me being honest about who I am, what I'm thinking, and what I'm feeling. We, we do that all the time, don't we, with issues in our life. We see the things we want to see, and we push away the things that we don't see. We have to be honest and come to the place of admitting, I need help. But we avoid it, we fake it, we, we see something in the mirror other than what reality is because we trick our mind, we trick our thoughts. Sometimes the reason we don't want to admit we need help is because we, we realize that admitting that we need help means that I have to change. I have to start working on changing something. But to do that means I first have to become miserable. Because I admit there's something wrong, something I don't like, something that needs changing in my life. So I humbly admit that I need help. That's being honest. The good news is that your habits and your hurts and your hang-ups can be healed. The bad news is it takes humility. You've got to humble yourself. You've got to swallow your pride. In the words of the Apostle James... God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What is grace? Grace is the power that you need to change. He gives you the grace that you need in order to change. How do you get it? He gives grace to the humble. The poor in spirit. What's that mean? It means first that I, I understand that, that I'm broken. That there's something wrong. That something needs help. And to admit that, we have to get past our denial. We have to stop blaming others for our problem. And we have to accept the reality that we are broken. And friends, I love you. But I know that every person in this room has something that's broken. We all do. 
something that's not right, something that's out of alignment, something that needs tweaked and fixed, something that's broken. And we have to admit that, that I am broken. I need help. I need to admit that my secrets make me sick. That's part of being poor in spirit. The psalmist said it this way, Psalm 32, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All of my guilt is gone. We have to admit that the secrets that we hold make us sick. Most of you know that uh, mental health was a big issue in my family growing up. My father struggled his whole life with mental health issues. He was one of those one in 25 where it's chronic, where it's deep, where it was a real challenge. But one of the things I learned from a, a boy before I was the age of 10 was that this was something we kept secret. We didn't talk about it. Oh, our closest friends knew. Our family knew. Aunts and uncles and cousins knew. But we hid it. We didn't talk about it. Because it carried a stigma. When you had a mental health issue in those days, and I suspect still, you were just looked at kind of funny. People didn't know what to say. They didn't know how to behave. They didn't know how to act. And I can tell you that even though dad was the one with the issue, we all had the issue because we all carried the secret. A lot of times we didn't even talk to each other about it. It was just kind of taboo. And yet the scriptures tell us that if we're really going to find help, if we're going to find healing, hope, It's in confessing and uncovering the hidden things. It's come to understand that our secrets make us sick. That doesn't mean you put on a a sign and parade around. You know, you carry things appropriately and rightly and you you find safe places to build trust and, and share things. But if you really want to come to a place of mental health, you've come to understand that secrets make you sick and that you have to turn that around. I must admit my problem in order to defeat it. That's humbly admitting I need help. Proverbs 28, verse 13, in the Good News Translation. You will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. Confess them and give them up. Then God will show mercy to you. Always obey the Lord and you will be happy. If you are stubborn, you will be ruined. Rick Warren says, We waste an enormous amount of energy hiding our hurts, our faults, our hang-ups. All that energy you use to pretend that you're somebody that you're not and to hide your weaknesses and your faults from other people, it drains your life and it's why you're tired all the time. If you didn't have to hide anything, you were open and authentic, 
you'd have a whole lot more energy for the good stuff. And he says, admit, I am broken. My secrets keep me sick. And I can't defeat my problem until I admit it. There's another thing you need to be honest about. It's that my pride and fear keep me stuck. That's a problem as old as man. Genesis chapter 3, Adam in the Garden of Eden, right after he sins, says, I was afraid, so I hid. I was afraid, so I hid. What's the first fear we have when there are things that we feel like we need to cover up? It's the fear of exposure. That somebody's going to find out what I'm really like on the inside. Adam literally said, I was afraid because I was naked. He was vulnerable. And so he hid. In the New Testament, Matthew chapter 25, it talks about the parable of the talents. And and, uh, really it's talking about a different kind of issue. But it says, I was afraid, so I hid my talent. You see, fear always leads us to hide things. And in our mental capacity. When we recognize that there's a problem, we want to hide it because we're afraid. We're afraid what it means for our future. We're afraid of what it will do in affecting our relationships with others. And so we hide. We don't want to be vulnerable, transparent. But what the Bible teaches us is it's really not okay to keep those things hidden. That we need each other. We need grace. To be poor in spirit means I must humbly admit I need help. Secondly, it means I need to humbly ask God for help. I admit and then I ask. I admit that I need help, then I ask God for it. I move from confession. I admit I need help to praying, to asking God for help. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, the Living Bible says, I think you ought to know, dear brothers, about the hard time we went through in Asia. We were really crushed and overwhelmed and feared that we would never live through it. We felt we were doomed to die and saw how powerless we were to help ourselves, but that was good. For then we put everything into the hands of God, who alone could save us, for he can even raise the dead. And he did help us and saved us from terrible death. Yes, and we expect him to do it again and again. The key part there, we put everything into God's hands. We ask for help. We can't help ourselves, so we put everything into God's hands. Have you done that? As I was checking off that little mental inventory, if there were one or two or more of those little issues that bother you from time to time, have you put that into God's hands and asked him for help? See, a lot of times we we don't ask for help until the pain gets so great that it overcomes our fear, our unwillingness to change. But I want to encourage you to not wait that long. 
Don't wait so long that, that you just are feeling at the end of your rope before you get help. Don't get to that place. Come to God and ask him for help. The message paraphrase of the Bible of this little beatitude says, you are blessed when you are at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. With less of you, there is more of God. And so admit that you need help and ask God for it. To be poor in spirit, number three, I must humbly accept help from other people. Earlier I told you that uh, the first places people turn when they realize that they need help with a mental health issue is to family or friends or faith community. That's where we turn. We need help from others. We need to find the truth of the scripture that says two are better than one, for they can reach or they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other people can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. One of the things I know that, that keeping things secret also means that often we isolate ourselves. We withdraw from people at the very point when we need other people to, to help us and to hold us up, to encourage us, to speak life into us and give us the, the aid that we need. Our tendency is to withdraw, to hide, to, to not have others in our life. But we need help. Walter was a pastor in Houston. He talked one day about his son who had an iPhone and it went dead. He wanted to plug it into his laptop in order to charge it up, which you can do. So he plugged the iPhone into his little laptop, but couldn't figure out why it wasn't recharging. He kept looking at it and wondering why it wouldn't recharge. And finally, he figured out that the only way to get it to recharge was open up the, the laptop and turn it on. He had just plugged it in without turning on the laptop. He realized that the only way to get power is to open the book. The only way to get power is to open our lives to others. Let them speak into us and help us and encourage us. When, when you sit in a Bible study with others, it's to be open. It's to open the Word of God into your life, but it also to open others into your life. And there comes help for your living. James talks to us about finding healing and help in James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. But we're afraid of that one. We rarely want to do that one because that brings us back to that place of being vulnerable, of being open, of, of risk that there's a stigma, of risk that someone will make fun of me. So what can you do? How do we deal with this issue in our lives? First, pray for yourself. Pray that today might be the day that you admit your need of help if that's where you are. I also would ask you to pray for empathy and compassion for others who deal with this issue. You see, you may not be the one here today that has a mental health issue, but somebody you know does. Somebody close to you does. 
Ask God to give you a bigger capacity to love that person, to stand alongside that person and to help them. Ask him to give you empathy, compassion that moves you to action. Pray for yourself that way. And then pray for others. You know people that struggle with mental health issues. Many of them have been in your mind already as I've talked about this this morning. You've identified people that struggle with this issue. Pray for them. Then thirdly, I'd like you to pray for the church that we can gather what we need to offer help. We're at the beginning of a journey. We're not sure where it's going to lead and where it's going to go. But we feel a, a calling from God to begin speaking about this issue to raising it up and offering hope and help to people. Uh, we don't know where that will go. We have some ideas of some, some first steps, and we want to crawl before we walk, and we want to walk before we run. Uh, we, we want to do what's within our capacity and ability to do, and we're going to do that. Uh, the first thing we're going to do is to offer a support group for people who deal with depression. One of the ways I know that the church isn't addressing this issue enough is uh, I've been looking everywhere and asking everywhere for uh, help to train people to lead that kind of a support group. I haven't found it anywhere. It's quite surprising. So we'll develop it. We'll figure it out because we sense this is what God wants us to do. But let's pray for the church that we can gather the help we need to begin to address this issue that is so prevalent in society around us. And there are those of us in this room today who need that kind of help. Fourth thing I want to ask you to do is in your worship folder this morning was this little card. It's really intended to be an invitation. If you know someone over the next few weeks as we're talking about mental health that uh, could benefit from just having an open dialogue and exploring what the Bible says about the issue, invite them to come and worship with us. Give them the little card and say, I'll meet you there. Let's learn together and grow in this. Then last, if, if you would like to be a part of helping us launch uh, a, a support group for people who deal with depression, or if you would just like to be in one, you need that kind of help and encouragement. Uh, two weeks from today, the 19th, after Sunday worship, we're going to gather together and just have a dialogue about uh, how we can get started, who can help, and, and anyone who wants to be a part of that is welcome to come. We're going to have lunch together and just have a conversation about where we think we're headed and where the Lord can lead us. But I believe that this is an issue that the church has to speak to. Again, we're going to crawl before we walk. We're going to walk before we run. But we're going to trust God to lead us on a journey. Stand with me. I want to offer a prayer after, as the worship team comes to lead us. And as we sing a closing song, I'm, I'm just going to be here at the front you want me to pray with you, just come on up. Come ahead, worship team. It's okay. Come on up. And, and I would be glad to just pray with you. The first step is to admit you have a problem. To risk being vulnerable. Maybe you want to pray today not for yourself, but for someone you know. I'd be glad to pray with you about that too. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being with us today. 
Thank you for speaking into the deepest needs and the deepest brokenness of our life. Lord, help us. All around us, we have acquaintances, close friends, family members, sometimes even in our own household. Sometimes it's us that just feel helpless because there are issues going on in our life that we don't know how to take care of. There are things that we see and the brokenness that we feel and we, we know we need help. Help us first to admit it and to come to you, to open our hearts and our minds to the possibility that you can take us shattered and broken as we are and begin to bring healing and health and wholeness into our lives. Give us courage to take those first steps, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.